Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Anne, and with co-host Bill, I would like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Just uh, bear with us for one moment. Just sorting out the phone line with Ben at the moment. So, um, are you there, Ben? Yes, I am, yep. Oh, great. Uh, we'll just, um, we're just organising the phone system here. Uh, Bill is uh, about to take the mic. Here he is. Ah, yeah, welcome, Ben. Ah, thank you very much, Bill. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> We're just getting used to using the phones. We used to use Zoom, but we've had a bit of a Zoom problem. Um, so Ben's a recovering alcoholic, um, and he's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's going to share his recovery story with us today. So Ben, we usually start talking about growing up and things that influenced you as a child uh, and things in the family. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what life was like for you as a young child? Yeah, of course. Thank you, Bill. Um uh, I had a really, really great upbringing, um, mum, dad and the brother, and yeah, just, I assume, just a normal kind of uh, mum, dad kind of situation. Um, grew up uh, in Melbourne very early on, and then due to ill health, moved up to uh, the north of the state, and then uh, back down into the into the country region of the Mallee. Um, before moving back to Melbourne to uh, complete VCE. Okay, so sounds like you moved around a fair bit. So was that a bit disruptive? Um, no, not really. We moved um, north because of ill health for me. Um, but I suppose as with you know when you're growing up in your you know preteens and things like that, making friends and whatnot. Um, you know, it can be a little bit difficult, but the area that I sort of mainly consider growing up, which was uh, my teen years, uh, was very stable. Was very stable in the in the country and very small country town, um, which was great. Had a couple of really good solid friends who I have today um, still. So, yeah, it was good. Okay, so did you have any um, alcohol, drug, mental issue problems in your family growing up? Um, no, look, they talk about, you know, addiction runs in the family, but we, we don't have any um, in, in my immediate family or anything like that. Um, I seem to be sort of one out of the box. Um, you know, with myself, it's a little bit of depression and, and whatnot. Um, that, that is in the, in the history of the family uh, on both sides. But, yeah, apart from that, that's really about it. There's nothing sort of uh, outstanding out of the norm. Okay, so would you describe yourself as a happy kid? Very, very. Yeah, look, I, um, you know, I, I never went without. 
um, you know, didn't get everything I want as as I would have liked, but uh, no, uh, certainly didn't go without. My parents uh, are amazing. Um, you know, they made sure that we were happy, we were stable. Um, you know, I had a really good circle of friends. I, I consider myself a good communicator. Um, always went out of my way to make friends and things like that. Um, look, during sort of high school, you know, a bit of the bullying kind of thing, but I think, um, you know, that's sort of experienced by a lot of people. So, yeah, I don't consider that anything out of the ordinary, but I had a really, really happy upbringing. I really did. Okay. Um, so talking about bullying then, so were you were you the victim of, I assume? Uh, yes, yes I was, yeah. Um, look, and it, it made it difficult because it was in a small country town, so the the bullies that, um, you know, you basically lived alongside as well. But, uh, yeah, look, it, it was tough like that. Um, but, you know, my parents were, were very supportive. They stepped in where they could. The school was supportive. Um, and when I start, say a small country town, it was like 300-odd people. Um, so, yeah, there were only a, a small number of, of people my age in the area, and, yeah, a couple of them were bullies. But, you know, we sort of worked through it. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of people have had to do that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So what was your introduction to alcohol? Um, it was a lot later um, in life. Um, like my parents don't really drink. Um, none of their friends really drink. Um, not that it was an alcohol-free household, but, you know, mum and dad will have a glass of wine with, with a meal and that's really about it. My circle of friends that I uh, went through school with, none of them drank. Um, you know, I really, I can honestly say I think my first sort of alcoholic drink with, um, you know, out of the house or whatever like that was really when I was about 18 or 19. Um, yeah, somewhere around there. So I sort of consider myself a bit of a late starter in that regard. Um, but yeah, alcohol was certainly not a big factor in, uh, in, in our household growing up at all. Yeah. So you mentioned that none of your friends drank and you were in the country. That's a pretty unusual situation. Did you? It, it, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, there was, um, as I said to my, my parents the other day, when they sort of asked me the same question, and I said, well, um, the only place I could have got alcohol is at the, at the hotel. And, um, well, yeah, basically in the country, every single person knows what everyone else is doing anyway. Um, but yeah, I was more into, I was heavily into scouts, heavily into venturers. So my friends and I, we did a lot of, um, you know, camping, backpacking. Um, I had my motorbike, um, things like that. So I was really quite, uh, quite diverted away from the alcohol scene. Probably there were groups of, um, kids in the, in the area that, that did drink, but it certainly, wasn't um, apparent to, to my little core group of mates that I had. Okay. Um, so I guess it, it's it's also difficult in a small town, but what mm. were relationships like with you? Uh, between friends? 
Oh, well, with the other sex, yeah. Oh, um, well, really, there weren't any. They were mostly males <laughs> in the place. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really... I oh, sort of had a girlfriend, but that was, it was more of a, you know, this is my friend and she's a girl kind of thing. Um, and that was about it, really. I didn't sort of really get a girlfriend until I came back down to Melbourne in uh, year 11 and 12. Okay. Uh, yeah, but mainly we all looked, I mean, we had friends who were male and female and we were just all mates. That was really how it was up there. Yeah. Okay. So you said you started drinking around 18 or so. Yes. Yep. So how, how did that occur? What was the circumstances? Um, based, uh, after I finished school, I became an apprentice motor mechanic um, and... Uh, from there, I started to, to do some part-time work after hours delivering pizzas. And um, the group of people that we work together, um, and we're still really good friends today, the whole group of us, because we were working funny hours, um, you know, we'd knock off at one or two o'clock in the morning, we really didn't have anything to do, so we'd go back to each other's houses and sort of have our own party kind of thing and, you know, someone would bring the alcohol or we'd make sure we purchased it earlier. Um, so it was more just uh, the group of friends that, yeah, we just kind of got together and drank because by the time we finished work, nothing else was open. So there was really nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, yeah, started there, I suppose. Okay. Um, so... Did alcohol do anything for you initially? Um, yeah, I mean, it uh, certainly made me open up a lot more, talk to people, um, you know, get out and just, you know, things like I'm not a person who dances, but, you know, get a couple of drinks into me and I'm, I'm happy to go and have a dance or go to a nightclub or somewhere like that that I wouldn't normally go to. Um, and certainly made me a lot more relaxed. I was, um, you know, pretty, I suppose, you know, as a 19, 20-year-old, you put heaps of expectations on yourself. Um, you put your stress levels up and things like that. So, um, yeah, basically it was more of just a way to relax, kick back, um, watch some movies, you know, listen to some music, um, or, you know, on the occasions that we went out nightclubbing and things, that alcohol was certainly... A big part of the, the nightclubbing scene, but that wasn't really a lot that we did. Um, we'd occasionally go to hotels and listen to a live band, um, but yeah, apart from that, it was just mainly sitting around at people's houses, drinking, relaxing after work, and it certainly made me a lot feel a lot easier with myself. Yeah. So, did you suffer a bit of anxiety around that point? Um. Talking to healthcare professionals over the past sort of year or two during my recovery, I've certainly started to see a trend of um, anxiety. Uh, I am I'm a very high I'm a, I'm an overachiever. Um, no matter what I do, I I always set the bar just out of reach so that I'm going to continue to strive to be better and better and better. Or um, you know, if I find a topic that interests me, I will research it to the nth degree. Um, so because of that, I 
I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself um, and certainly that led to the anxiety and the stress, um, you know, and very much a people pleaser trying to keep every single person happy all the time. Um, and I, I, I struggled at that time to say no to, uh, to, you know, helping people and stuff. So, yes, certainly alcohol kind of took away that anxiety and that worry and everything, and it just made me kind of live for the moment, I suppose. Yeah. It's funny you say people pleaser and couldn't say no because they're two of the classic um, symptoms of a you know, child of an alcoholic or a, somebody in a codependent relationship. Mm. Um, so do you know where you would have picked those up? Um, I really don't know. Uh, my parents never, ever um, told me I was never good enough or anything like that. They were highly, highly supportive. So um, I think... It's just a matter of my personality um, that I have a thirst for knowledge. I have a thir- I just want to know, um, and I suppose it's um, just just a part of me. I suppose uh, one thing that I did get diagnosed as bipolar, which was a bit of a, a out of the blue thing, and apparently that is a trait um, can be a trait of bipolar. Okay. Um, yeah. So. You know, it's it's one of those, you know, was that a fact or was it not? I really don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting looking back, isn't it, trying to figure out why or how. Um, yes. So a lot of people, when they start drinking, drink to excess. So was that an issue with you? Did you black out at all? No, no. Very, very much in control of it. I could, um, you know, I could go and have a, have a night on it with the, the friends and not touch it for a week. Um, you know, because I love my driving, I love my car, um, you know, and as a P plater and everything, you've got to be double zero. Um, and as an offer P, you've got to be, you know, under 0.05. So, you know, I wasn't prepared to, to, you know, be drinking and maybe risk my license or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a real big factor at that stage. Um, it's something that progressed later on. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might think about taking a break here. I think we're at a logical point. So, mm-hmm. um, Anne, would you like to uh, cut, cut us to a song, please? Okay, the song we are going to hear is Helping Hand uh, by the Screaming Jets. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. Forty days and nights in the wilderness, Jesus hung it there, and the devil said, make these stones be bread, if you are who you say you are, and Jesus said, get behind me Satan it was written long ago man shall live by the word of God 
not by bread alone. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. On the narrow way, and I have no need of thee. Then he let him up, let him up on the temple, mm-hmm. and said, Cast thee down. Below, for an angel of God will bear thee, lest thou be dashed upon the stones. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, was written in days of old. Thou tempt the Lord thy God is at the peril of thy soul. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. On the narrow way, and I have no need of thee. The mental health system in Victoria is currently undergoing transformational reform, and for the first time, these reforms centre people with lived experience of mental health challenges in the design and delivery of the new system. So, How do we then ensure that lived experience engagement is genuine and not tokenistic? And what are some of the structural changes that need to occur to encourage people with a lived experience to want to participate? These are some of the questions we will be exploring in this year's Wellways Public Lecture on Thursday, May 26 at the Wheeler Centre. The keynote speaker is Debbie Hamilton, a systemic mental health advocate. And the evening will also include a panel discussion with lived experience and governance experts and the launch of Vimeac's Consumers Leading in Governance pilot program. This is a free event, but bookings are essential. To book your ticket to the in-person event or online stream, visit lecture.wellways.org and follow the links to the booking page. That's lecture.wellways.org. Wellways supports 3CR. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Apologies to anyone there that was looking forward to hearing the Screaming Jets. We'll put that on a little bit later. That was uh, the Waifs that you just heard singing a song called Temptation. So this is a Living Free Show on 3CR 
855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact contact us by phone, email or Twitter. Today, Bill's talking uh, to Ben about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Ah, so Ben, um, to continue on. Um, so we, we were talking about um, sort of post, you know, early early work life, um, post pea plating. So you're a keen driver. So yep. do you want to tell us about how things changed once you, I guess, established yourself in the workforce? All right. Um, so yeah, it's, things kind of progressed along. Um, I got married uh, in 1999 um, and we bought a house and we were the first of our friends to purchase a house. So what would happen was um, most nights people would be over and hours um, because you know, we were the place to go to because everybody else was still living at home and, of course, every night there was alcohol coming in and, and things like that. And um, I suppose back then it kind of started off with the you know, the, the nightly drinking um, because it just, just became a pattern. Um, although, you know, it wasn't um, excessive at that stage. It was still alcohol every single night. Um, and, you know, talking to to my wife, who unfortunately at the moment we're, we're separated, um, but she said to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, you've always been a heavy drinker and I never really saw that. Um, but looking back, it, it yeah, certainly was. Um, so I suppose that having the house, um, yeah, led to the people coming around every single night, drink, bringing alcohol. The parties tended to end up back in hours. Um, you know, and that went on for, for quite a number of years, probably 10 years, I would, I would say, before, you know, children and everything started coming along. Um, during that time... Uh, I was still working as a motor mechanic, um, but starting to feel myself in the mornings a little bit dusty, I suppose, the good word. Um, but, you know, you'd counteract that by doing this and that and every hangover Q&O in the man. Um, so, you know, looking back, it probably did actually affect my work. Um, probably made me a lot uh, less sharp um, and a lot less deceptive in regards to diagnosing vehicles and stuff like that. Um, so that was sort of the first 10 years, probably up to about the age of 30, um, I would say. Um, that was sort of a habit every single night. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's sort of reminiscent of my childhood, actually. My dad was a motor mechanic and drank a lot, yep. but he got into a lot of fights, so mm-hmm. it didn't improve his relationships with others. So what was your yep. relationship like with the people you work with? Um, well, it was only the boss and I, very small workshop. Um, but yeah, never the boss never mentioned it um, at all. Although, you know, now you say that, he did say at one stage, um, you know, people would gift you at Christmas things like bottles of wine and things like that. And he did always have a strict no alcohol um, uh, on the premises side uh, rule, um, which, look, I don't know whether that was due to me or that was just generally one of his rules. Um, he ran a pretty tight ship when it came to presentation of the workshop, presentation of employees, etc. 
Um, but yeah, it was only the boss and I, and we did we got along very very well. Okay, that's good. Um, so, what about your relationship with your wife then? Um, did it affect that relationship? Certainly did. Yeah, no, no two ways about it. Um, it, you know, there was time for kids that we'd all sort of, you know, be drinking and things like that. And and my wife would, um, she she's not a big drinker. Um, she she really isn't. Um, so I seem to make up for the for the both of us. But certainly um, during the period of probably about when I was about 33 or 34, um, I actually went away working. Um, I was away a lot of the time in the construction industry, um, which has a very, very big um, drinking and drugging um, culture. Um, so it sort of didn't affect my wife at that stage too much because I was actually away. I wasn't physically there. But certainly looking back um, on the times that I had at home, um, you know, a couple of days at a time, it, it certainly did because I would come home cashed up, take the kids out, take the family out, um, get on the grog, then, you know, walk away and leave, as, as my wife said to me, once you're a Disneyland dad, you come home, you're all fun, you're cashed up, and then you leave and you leave me with the wreckage, um, which actually is a really sort of a very good analogy of what was going on. That's quite, I've um, never heard that term before, Disneyland Dad, but that's quite, quite yeah. good one, isn't it? Yeah, come home all full of fun and everything, and then you just leave. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds a bit like the drover's wife's lament, sort of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, did what was life like then, working, working and drinking away? Um, it was tough. Um, we would work, uh, or myself in the role that I was doing. I would do fourteen-hour days, um, thirteen days in a row with one day off. Um, so you basically just eat, slept, drank, went to bed. But probably one of the saving races while I was away was every morning we got um, alcohol tested. Um, so we had to do a breatho um, and construction is double O. Um, there's no tolerance for that whatsoever. So looking back in the, um, the time that I was actually working away in the construction industry, it was actually a bit of a godsend um, in disguise because... I had to be double low in the morning. I had no choice. So that, I looking back, really reined in the amount of drinking that I would do. Um, yeah, but on that one day when you had your one day off, it was it was a free-for-all. Yeah. Um, yeah, for want of a better term. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. So how often did you um, come home? Um at least I was generally away for about a month at a time, sometimes up to, I think the longest stint was about three months. Um, so I'd come home for after the month, have maybe Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, and then be gone Monday night back to work or drive to wherever I was working, be it interstate or, or fly wherever. Um, so That's a pretty, pretty harsh regime, isn't it? Um, like my wife is absolutely amazing 
Um, I, I don't know how she put up with it for so long. Yeah. Well, I hope the pay was good. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> uh, so, did what changed then? Did you change jobs, or what? What brought about the change in your life? Um, I had a couple of really um, turbulent years, is the want for a better word. Um, we had around the time of uh, being in the construction industry, I actually had a bit of a, a, a gut hole of it. Um, I'd been working with my hands for, you know, 20-something years and retrenchments were coming around and um, they offered one to me, retrenchment or relocation, and relocation was to Western Australia and, you know, that wasn't going to happen in my instance. Um, So I took a retrenchment, took a package and um, changed careers totally. I became a nurse um, and working in a pretty difficult emotional area um and around that time we had um a couple of um deaths in the family that that really really hit me very very hard um and still do to this day um you know a couple of personal issues within the family and things like that and it was all within the space of about two years um and at that time um I was my mood swings apparently like I mean I I can't recall them um, because of the condition I was in but you know I've been told my mood swings were astronomical um, just I was out of control apparently um, and yeah it's you know the probably would have been probably two thousand and. 18, 2019 or 17, 18, 19, things really like just went south for me. Just, yeah, really, really bad. Uh, um, so when, when you say you were unaware of the mood swings, was that due to your drinking or bipolar? Um, I was actually talking to a healthcare professional about that this morning and he actually thinks it's a combination of both, um, undiagnosed bipolar, um, massive, massive swings um, from real depression to just manic highs um and then when it was really low i would drink to try and pull myself back out and then um you know it just started some mornings you know i'd be uh get up in the morning and i'd be fishing for for answers as to what we did the night before i just couldn't it was sort of floating around the edges of, of my peripheries as to what i'd happened what had happened um and, you know, just not being able to recall certain things. So do you reckon that was blackouts or not? That was certainly the commencement of the blackouts, yeah. No doubt about it. Um, I think the, you know, what the realisation came to me once was, said to my wife, let's, hey, let's watch this movie you haven't seen. I'm hanging to see it. And she's like, Ben, you watched it last night and fell asleep halfway through. And I could not remember watching it. That's pretty damning, isn't it? It's, yeah, it doesn't get much more uh, cut and dry than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not not a not a uh, good moment in my life, but yeah, certainly the defining moment in my life. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Uh, well, listen, we might take another break there, uh, and yep. it's got another song queued up for us this time. 
Now, this is the previously promised Screaming Jets with Helping Hand. Listening to 3CR 855 AM, streaming at 3cr.org.au, 3CR Digital, Podcasting or Audio on Demand. Interested in mental health issues? Then tune into Brainwaves every Wednesday at 5 pm. Brainwaves is a peer produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you. 3CR, inclusive radio, making your voice heard. Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. 
Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. Okay, welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And I'm talking with Ben about... I mean, I'm not talking with Ben. Bill is talking about with Ben about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Over to you, Bill. Ah, thanks, Anne. Um, so uh, before the break, we were talking about, um, I guess, the, the latter stages of alcoholism. Uh, and blackouts. Um, so uh, I was just wondering if you wanted to just share with people what a blackout feels like to the alcoholic and how it appears to the people around them. Um, well, I just don't remember anything at all. Um, prior to going into the beginning of my detox rehab journey, I honestly can say there's probably weeks there that I actually didn't remember anything at all. I can't recall. Um, it was just a cycle of getting up, finding alcohol, getting it into me, and then do the same the next day. Um, the things I've been told I've done, um, I have no recollection. Um, they're things that I would certainly... Um, I would never do if I was um, sane and sober. Um, and probably the crux of all of this that really, really got things um, to the tipping point was uh, an episode um, where, and I'm certainly, uh, I struggle to, to talk about it, but um, a time when I, I took my child, oh, my son and um, my nephew into the city and um, I had a couple of drinks in there and I do not remember driving them home. Um, what I do remember is my wife coming out of the house and dragging me out of the car and I do remember her having my bags packed um, and sending me to my parents' house the next day. Um and I wow. can't recollect anything basically the day before. Um, I've kind of pieced bits together because I found stub tickets of where we had gone in my car. Um, but that's it. And that's something I am ashamed of and I will and I will struggle to live with for the rest of my life. But it is probably the point in my life that really um, was the defining moment. And I wholeheartedly support my wife and what she did. Um, she did what she needed to do to protect herself and the family. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, um, isn't it? The sort of things that you can do when you don't don't realise. So I guess people don't uh, realise that the alcoholic is just functioning normally um, uh, from the outside, but inside is really on automatic and is not remembering uh, or... You know, taking any real, um, you know, not not functioning what we'd call in a in a switched on manner. Um, no, just automated. But, yeah, but 
they they appear to be functioning normally, but mm-hmm. doing unusual things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's you know talking about being a nurse. I think one thing that stood out was you know we had a patient come in once and it mentioned that she drank a bottle of wine every day, and all the other nurses are like, oh my gosh. That is so much, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right, oh, that's like that's that's nothing, um, you know. And for me, you know, people would say to me, just stop drinking, and you hear it all the time, just stop drinking. I couldn't stop drinking. It wasn't. It was no longer a choice. Um, I did not have a choice in it. As, as bizarre as that sounds, um, I had to do it. I was. Yeah, it was all I was interested in. Yeah. yeah. So did your wife sending you out of the home, did that mm-hmm. lead you to seek help? Um, I had sought help about 12 months earlier. Um, I had done a 28-day detox in, in Box Hill, um, and I came out and I was, yep, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Um, I had... Basically, physically, I had overcome the, you know, the withdrawals and everything, but mentally I hadn't. Um, the compulsion was still there. Uh, I think I lasted two days. Um, then my wife sort of said to me, I want you to go to AA. I want you to have a go. Just have a go. And my doctor had been suggesting it to me for a little while. Um, but I'm like, I'm not going to AA. That's for those people, not for me. Um and I went to a couple of meetings and, you know, I don't know, it just didn't click. And then I went to a, a meeting in Mitcham um, and I got a heap of phone numbers and it was great. I'm going to ring, I'm going to ring you. And then I just fell into the old habits again. And it wasn't for the, you know, about six, six weeks later, um, a guy who I'd met there rang, who's now my sponsor, um, just to check in on me. And he convinced me to come back and do a meeting. Um, I went and did one meeting and then just disappeared off the face of the earth again and just started drinking. Um, then when it led up to this incident with the, with the vehicle and everything um, earlier this year, uh, sorry, earlier last year, I thought is not working, I'm not committed, I don't really want to, you know, whatever. Um, so... I put myself back or I got into detox again um, and then from detox I went into um, a residential rehab in, in Marp and they are very 12-step focused. Um, in there, there, we did um, every morning and afternoon you would do uh, a group session and at least one of those would be revolving around the steps or the basis of the steps of AA um, and then several times, uh, probably I think it's five times a week, we would go to a meeting, um, remembering it's, this is a, an addiction rehab, so we would do AA and NA, but it was predominantly AA. Um, so even while we are in rehab, we would be um, to get into the habit of meetings, 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 um, look at the steps, work, start looking at, at how you're going to, to deal with it and get into the habit and use the AA model um, of recovery alongside the time when you're in rehab, 
trying to get your psychological recovery in line as well. Um, and it was good. They were, they were making connections for us, going to the AA and NA meetings. We were making connections so that when we got out, we would continue going to these meetings and we would get our sponsors and we would, um, you know, continue on the journey as we, we sort of started. So once you came out of that, was it difficult mm-hmm. to get back to normal life and, um, you know, just consider yourself and, you know, look at recovery? Or were you um, sort of torn? No, well, I was actually, I was, I was very, very fortunate in that um, I'm not living back in the family home at the moment. Um, I'm living in supported accommodation, which is um, a four-bedroom house. Um, there's only one other person in here, and we're all from that recovery group. So we kind of keep check on each other. <clears throat> um, and we'll go to meetings together. Um, we'll call each other out if one of us is slacking off a little bit. Um, the other residents will sort of say to me, come on, Ben, you know, you need to get to the meeting. Um, and it also helped. I didn't. I wasn't working for about the first six weeks. Um, the So I had a lot of time to focus on recovery. I was doing a meeting a day, um, which is a suggested... Uh, thing they always say go to meetings like you used to drink um so yeah go to meetings like you used to drink so um i was there basically 24 hours a day um (laughs) no but um i would go to a meeting every day and the wonderful thing was we also had access to zoom so we could do zoom meetings um if we couldn't get somewhere um and even to this day when i'm i'm now back out on the road in the construction industry um, but I listen to Zoom meetings and listen to the big book and everything like that while I'm driving around. So I'm still getting my AA fix while I'm doing other things. Yeah. So that that sounds really good. So do you want to tell us a bit about uh, going to meetings? Because it must have been a difficult time uh, going to meetings. So could you do face-to-face meetings at all or not? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, when I started um, in uh, late June... Uh, they were just starting to come out of that lockdown Zoom. So some were on Zoom, some were in face-to-face. And the rehab really strove to get us to face-to-face um, wherever they would be um, because they believe, and I certainly believe, I, you get a lot more out of face-to-face than Zoom meeting. Um, or I do anyway. Um, so, yeah, we were very lucky. The group that went through before us, um, apparently, they were just straight Zoom. Everything was Zoom. They didn't have that, that building connections kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I know walking into the meetings for the first time, um, I found it very, very intimidating. Um, you know, I would sit there and someone would stand up and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've been sober for 30 days. And I'd be, oh, my gosh, how do you get to 30 days? And then I'd get to 30 days and they know someone who's six months and you just be, oh, my gosh. You know, and I'm coming up to my 12-month anniversary on um, May the 27th. Wow, I congratulations, never, I, yeah. Thank you so much. I never, ever, ever thought that I would ever get there. And it's only through, like, AA 
the support of those people around me who never gave up, even when they should have. Um, you know, my folks said to me the other day, you know, we're really proud of you. We never gave up on you, ever. Yeah. Um, it's really an important thing for families to support people in recovery, but not to prop them. So, that's exactly right. Yeah. So do you want to talk about, you know, your, I guess your change with in relationship with your partner and your uh, children? Yeah. Um, all around, it's becoming a lot better. Um uh, like I said, you know, I'm not back in the family home, but my wife, she she rings me um, most days just to say hello, see how I am. Um, when I first went into to detox and rehab, I'd ring and she would, I'd go, hi. She'd go, I'll get the kids. And the kids would be very short and things like that. Um, you know, it's just, it's building slowly every day. Um, you know, my hope is that we'll get back together. I would never put that pressure on, but it's a, it's a day at a time, <laughs> to use the slogan. Um, but things are getting better every day. They really are. My children, um, one, they'll get back into a car with me now. They wouldn't 12 months ago. No, they wouldn't, you know, that just wouldn't happen. Um, I'm having more open dialogue with them, you know, just a lot. Probably what people would call a normal conversation. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. The kids don't run for the hills when they see me coming. Yeah. Which, looking back, they used to because they never knew what mood Dad was in. Yeah, didn't know what um, to expect. Yeah. No. It, it takes a while to build the trust back, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, that's... I just... You know, I, I was talking the other day about guilt and, you know, I've got, got guilt that I'll live with but it's healthy guilt in that it reminds me where I've been and where I've come from and the fact that I never, ever want to go back there ever again. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, if, if I ever um, went back to the bottle, I would lose everything and I'd probably be dead. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation with alcoholics to see the, I think, what is it, um, death, insanity or prison uh, is the yeah. likely outcome. And but, that's why yeah. we, you know, we try so hard to get people to um, share their stories and um, mm. try and reduce the stigma around things like alcoholism so people can actually get help, uh, get recovery and get back to normal life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that. At work, like I got a phone call um, to go back into the construction industry, and I put in a lot of boundaries this time, um, which they've been great. They've followed, and my boss um, knows my story. Um, my apprentice, he knows my story. Um, it's not something that I volunteer, but it's not something that I hide either. Yeah. Um, like they've had, they've had some really interesting questions. Questions that they've genuinely just wanted to know. They've always wanted to ask an addict, yeah. you know, and they've never ever known or felt comfortable. And like I said, I'll never go around broadcast. Well, here I am on the radio, but anyway, <laughs> doesn't get much more broadcasting. Um, but you know what I mean. Within those that I want to know, know those that I'll give bits of information, but. 
it's just it, unfortunately it really is that stigma that's still attached to it. Um, mental health is sort of is, I think plays a big part in a lot of it. Um, you know, and it's that getting that conversation started in regards to addiction, mental health, that kind of stuff. Um, just getting the ball rolling. Yeah, it's it is that it's it's trying to improve the situation um, for yourself and for others, you know, yeah. without you know <laughs> making it worse, um, which yeah. can often happen if people get emotionally involved and. Because at that point you can say things that you wish you hadn't said, and it's very hard to take back. You know, that, yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess what's what's life like for you? For what's life like for you now that yeah. you, I guess you can see clearly the impact of alcoholism on your life and you know the way you want to move forward in your life. Yeah. yeah. Um. My life at the moment is something I could never, ever have imagined. Um, talking to the healthcare professional this morning, he said to me, you know, how's it going? And I said, look, my life is everything that I want it to be at the moment. Um, it's been hard and it's been hard work. Um, it's not to say it's been easy. Um, but, you know, they talk about in, uh, in AA about a God of your own understanding, a higher power. Um, and for me, my higher power is wide open spaces, um, nature, things like that, paddocks. And, you know, I'm in a job now where I spend the majority of my day out in the middle of a paddock fixing machinery, two things that I love. I spend each morning watching the sun come up over the paddocks. Um, and I take a photo every morning just to remind me um, I'm, I'm becoming financially secure. Um, you know, I never had money before when I was drinking because I was spending it all. But, you know, my son asked for a, um, a bit of sporting equipment the other day that's, that's not cheap. And I'm like, you know what, give me a week or two, I'll save up and we'll go and get it for you. Um, you know, just spiritually, holistically, um, I'm at peace. I no longer have that yes, no, drink, don't drink, drink, don't drink going on in my head. Um, the constant battle to resist the urge. Um, I never thought that that I would ever have that. And the one big thing that is 12 months ago, I was scared to death of never drinking again. Like I was genuinely fearful of never drinking again. Um, but now, you know, it doesn't even... It, it, drinking doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah. I just keep busy. Um, I, I do the things I enjoy. Um, I hang around with people that have similar interests, similar goals. Um, my life is just totally different. Could yeah. not compare it to 12 months ago. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. If anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or you can go online at aa.org.au for more information about meetings and contact information. Well, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Ben for sharing his recovery experience in You're Alcoholics welcome. Anonymous with us. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you for the opportunity. 
Ah, our pleasure. Um, join us again next week when we'll be discussing the Smart Recovery Program and particularly focusing on Be Smart Recovery Training for anyone affected by the addictive behaviour of someone close to them. Coming up next, we've got a pre-recorded Balanoir, uh, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Tolgium Choco Edwards. Uh, join Uncle Choco and The Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.